mathematics, it is known that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that is adding two numbers. How, how to do that has to do with epistemology, knowing a person, knowing uh, oneself, knowing a place, one's hometown, knowing a thing, cars, trucks, or an activity, how to add or subtract. These all have to do with the understanding of knowledge, and that is epistemology. Some philosophers think that there is an important distinction between knowing that, knowing a concept, knowing how, understanding an operation, or acquaintance knowledge, knowing by relation. So epistemology has several branches to it. I, I know a concept. I know how to do something, an operation. I know someone as an acquaintance. I'm gaining knowledge about who they are. So it's relation-based. And, and primarily, it is concerned mainly with knowing a concept, knowing something. And so it's the study of knowledge, and it's trying to get at this question. How do we know? Now, I know this may not be something that you sit around and, and ask yourself. It's rooted in philosophy. But when you start reading about it and studying it, philosophers and individuals and people way, way smarter than I am over a long period and the course of history have studied epistemology in trying to answer how do we know what we know. It's an explanation of how we think and it's required in order to be able to determine what is true from what is false and help us with the proper methods of evaluating things and understanding things. It's needed in order to use and obtain knowledge of the world around us and without it we could not think it provides to us structure and it gives to us the ability to say this is correct thinking and this is thinking that is in error and so there are many types of epistemology this is a very deep study people have thought about this for a long long time and there's infinite ideas but some of the more common types of epistemology is foundationalism Foundationalism is that branch of epistemology that is built on the basis of some axioms or some laws or some statements that cannot be doubted. For example, in geometry, there are some laws and axioms like two points determine a line or parallel lines never intersect. And so foundationalism is looking at knowledge and saying there's some, few, there's some laws that, that you, cannot, uh, you cannot be in error of that they are, they are not to be doubted. And so that's one of the reasons why it's called foundationalism. And the pros to understanding foundationalism is that it is extremely precise. It's a law. You, you can't violate the law. And as long as those axioms are true, and as long as the logic is sound, we can be 100% sure of our knowledge. And so that's why foundationalism is so powerful. The con of foundationalism is that if your axioms are not correct, the whole house is going to fall down on itself because you've missed something very important. The law that you thought was a law may not, in fact, be a law. And so, therefore, that becomes a problem. Foundationalism, there is coherentism, which is knowledge that is true as long as it's not self-contradictory. As long as it's coherent and it makes sense and it is consistent, then it counts as knowledge. This is very popular because it is flexible. You're not basing something on laws. You don't have to be completely welded to a particular claim. 
you can just say as long as it makes sense. But the con to that is everybody can have their opinion of what is coherent, and everybody, certainly in our society today, has many different apparent, uh, many different opinions of, about what truth is and how it is defined. So sometimes coherentism is not always a good thing. It can be very difficult to disprove if somebody's just basing it on their own set of ideas. Sometimes it's too flexible. And then there is the epistemology branch that is called pragmatism. If it works, it is true. Ideas are tools that we use to get by. And as long as it is pragmatic and as long as the tools work well, then they are true. This is a, this is a positive thing because it allows human beings to have limits our knowledge is always changing, and so therefore you can say, well, things have changed, but it's working. And so it's pragmatic, and so it makes sense. The con part to that, it's hard to define what works. For some people, like the Greeks, they had all kinds of incorrect ideas about how the universe worked, and we have since disproven those ideas but for their society, it worked for them. They were just in error in terms of the bigger picture and some of their ideas, their philosophies. Their ideas maybe were right for them at that particular time, but are they now wrong? They're, 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 there's the problem with, with pragmatism. So there is, a, there is a branch of epistemology or knowledge or understanding or getting a grasp around things that people have studied for a very, very long time, and its primary purpose is to probe what are the limits and what are the restraints to knowledge. How far can we go? And there was a time when people could not even imagine going into outer space, going to the moon, and so epistemology and knowledge has to do with that. How do we do that? Now they're trying to figure out how to do it on a tourist basis. Individuals and thinkers and and and. and Investments are being made to figure out how you can go up into space and, and do all of this stuff. What are the limits of knowledge? What are the restraints of knowledge? And, and so humanity has got an idea, and we've talked about some of them. Humanity's got a philosophy. We've got some understandings about how far you can go and what are the restraints. But we have to recognize, according to the scripture that we have read, and we'll talk more about this passage of scripture, is that God is outside of who we are. And so our limited capacity and our restraints, they're not the same limits and restraints to God because God is bigger and God is greater than who we are. Paul said, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That's because there is no limit to who God is. That's because there are no restraints to how God is able to do beyond what we could think or ask. Praise God. Sometimes we get in the, the mindset that, well, I wouldn't really do it like that and I don't understand that, but you're not God. That's an important understanding and principle to have. I'm not God and thank God you're not God because some of the things that you would do as God would be way out there. There are some things I just have to put into the capacity and into the hand of God and say, that's a God thing. I can't question it. I can't even understand it because God is far above and beyond what I could even think. I've got limits. I've got restraints, but God does it. 
Amen, that's a whole other message, and I'm, I'm going to work on that because sometimes in our own mentality, in our own thinking, we can start looking at stuff and saying, well, I don't like that. I don't understand that. You know what? When I read scriptures, there's some stuff in scripture that's crazy. I wouldn't do it that way. If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't build an ark and ask eight people, seven, eight people to go into an ark and build thing and then flood the earth. I wouldn't do it that way. I don't even like that. How all these other people died and, and, and children and everything else. And I don't like that. And so then we get this mentality that we know more than God knows. And if we were at the controls, we would do things differently. I will tell you this. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. I wouldn't, you wouldn't want you sitting at the controls of playing God. And I wouldn't want you sitting with me playing the controls of God because we would would make a, mis a huge mistake. When you look at history, when individuals have played God, people died. There's all kinds of dysfunction and who knows what else. I'm not God. I don't understand all the things in the scripture. Uh, some of the stuff that happens in there, I'm looking at it thinking, what in the world? But you know what? I'm not God. At some point, you got to have faith that God is bigger, greater. He's got more understanding, more insight. Then I've got, and so I'm going to have to trust that somehow in the midst of all of that, God, you know what you're doing. Amen, that's a whole nother message, but it's, it's the same attitude that Job came to God and all this stuff was going on in his life. And so he had all these things and all, these, all of his friends came to him and they've got all their questions. And Job had his questions. And in Job chapter 38, verse number four, God said, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Job, if you're so smart, you tell me how I created the world and everything in it. And Job had to recognize that that point you know what I am finite I don't understand some stuff that I'm going through I can't get my head around it but this one thing I know God knows and God is sovereign he's transcended above everything and he's imminent in the midst of everybody and so therefore I'm gonna have to trust God with this I'm gonna trust God with this did you hear me somebody I'm gonna trust God with this I may have questions but at the end of the day God God's God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to have to trust him. Praise God. People go down some of these rabbit trails because they're cerebral. And that's a good thing. That's, what's, that's what apologetics is for because you're cerebral and you can, you can defend the faith by going deeper than maybe the superficial levels that some people go to. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that deep dive into the cerebral leads you to disbelief, then you're going the wrong direction. What we need you to do is be a champion of the faith and say, you know what, I know the world wants to deconstruct and tear down my faith, but I can defend it and I can help somebody else defend their faith. We need those kind of people in our day and age when the world is trying to absolutely eradicate faith from off the landscape of the world and everything else. We need an apostolic church that has faith, that has a depth that can defend their faith. They're not saying, well, I don't know. You're going to have to go talk to somebody else. They're going to say, you know what? I may not have all the answers, but I'll get back to you, but I know a God that is great and greatly to be praised, and I know where I was, and I know where he brought me from, and so I can testify of his goodness. <laughs> Woo! Praise 
God, the impossibility to Abraham, the restraints and limits of knowledge. He's standing here at this tent. There's some visitors. He's made preparation for them. He's been hospitable. He has created some fine meal. He's made cakes. He's fetched a calf, tender and good. He gave it to a young man. He dressed it. He took butter and milk, and here he is, and he is feeding them, and he sets it before them. And so they're eating, and then God poses this question to him about his promise that he said to Abraham, you are going to have a promised child and your descendants or your seed is going to be like the sand of the seashore and like the stars of the sky. Abraham, up to this point, he's, there's been a lot of activity with Abraham. He's doing what he knows to do. Abraham is holding all the initiative. Abraham is administering his life and he knows what is possible and he does it with effectiveness. He left out of the earth of the Chaldees. His family, his flocks, his wealth has grown. He's trusted in God. He's in full control until he loses the initiative. The a narrative of haste becomes a dialogue of waiting that forces them to face something outside of their control. Age is setting in and they try to manipulate the levers a little bit and so Hagar comes into play and Ishmael comes to play and here they are in their 80s and this uh, guest that has come to their tent is telling them that Sarah is going to have a child. This is beyond their imagination. They are, they're completely removed from the concept of time because how can this be when we are of this age? Abraham cannot control by hasty management. Things are out of his reach. And verse number 10 that we read is an assault on his worldview, his understanding of knowledge, and his definition of reality. The stranger establishes a power and a presence that is not contained by the knowledge of Abraham and Sarah. And the question is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for Yahweh? And this question breaks the accepted definitions of reality. What was previously thought as possible and impossible has been changed by God himself. The knowledge of possibility can become a safe place because it's what we know. And yet God moves the boundaries and says, I know that's what you're comfortable with, Abraham. I know that's your perception of time and child." bearing. I know all of those things that are going through your mind, but I want you to know something. I'm God and I don't have limits and I don't have restraints and so I'm operating outside of the realm of who you think you are and what you know. Listen to me, saints of God. I want to experience a God that tells me, Kevin Bradford, you're limited, but I'm infinite. I want to serve a God that tells me, hallelujah, there are limits on what you're able to do, but I'm a God that can produce an unlimited supply. I can bring, I can bring blessing to you and knowledge to you that goes beyond yourself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. God moves the goalposts. No wonder Sarah laughs. She's become, all she's known is barrenness. She is childless, and all she knows is barrenness. I want to say this very emphatically. Be very careful with where you are in your situation that you don't rule out 
the possibility that God can change it. Sarah laughed because everything in her existence is barrenness. She had been promised and yet it had not happened and it was years and years down the road and so she thought it was funny and she was living in a realm of barrenness. She couldn't think outside of that box. Don't get too comfortable thinking that well the answer is going to be where I am right now. There is a God that can supersede where you are right now. I don't care how long it's been. God is able to do what no other can do. It may be months, it may be years, but don't rule out the possibility that God can come through and do a great work in your life. Praise God, there's testimonies here in this passage of scripture because when God says something, he's going to do it. She was barren. It was an impossibility in her mind, but with God, all things are possible. This is one of the reasons why I celebrate with Brother Chad and Sister Melissa Bradley because their entire marriage has been built around wanting a child and being barren. And at some point saying, well, this may just be who we are and where we are and it may just be ministry but I've had conversations with him he's always said but you know what God could do it God could do it because we serve a God that is greater hallelujah than any negativity in any situation that is staring us in the face praise God they waited years and years and years and years but God came through and they're going to have a child because of God's goodness and his blessing don't give up on God don't give up on God. Still believe. Still believe. It's an impossible situation. <laughs> it was an impossibility. But the question was, is there anything too hard for God? Praise God, praise God. This is, one of the, this is one of the great faith statements that is built into the discipleship of Jesus that translates into us as believers is that even when we need healing and we don't receive healing, we're always faithful to say God is able to heal. We never say, well, God heals some folks, but he probably won't heal you, so you might as well just give up because it's not going to happen. We say God can heal. God's a healer all the way to death. We say there's a God that is able to heal you. We're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray in Jesus' name, and there's a power and ability that can heal you completely. We pray that in faith. And then if a person dies after we pray that, we're still praying and saying, there's a God that can raise you in resurrection power and life into eternal life there is no losing because if God doesn't heal in the present he's a God that heals in the future ladies and gentlemen you serve a great God you serve a sovereign God you serve a God that heals your body and your soul well, we, I think we need to thank him a moment right here God, I'm still going to trust you even if the answer's not in front of me. Praise God, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. All she knew was barrenness. The impossibility of Samson. 
Samson was born to his parents in an interesting circumstances. An angel of the Lord appears and, and, and there is directions given about what Samson is supposed to do. And he's a Nazarite and this is what he's going to do. And so Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord in front of this angel of the Lord that brought him this message. And the scripture said the angel did wondrously, wondrously, it's the same, same word that has to do with impossibilities. The angel did wondrously and Manoah and his wife looked on. This was a continuation of the narrative where out of barrenness comes liberation. There is a, there is, there is a theme here. Saren was barren, but they weren't under domination and subjugation. And yet when you get to Samson and Judges, she was barren and they were also subjugated by the Philistines. And since such a birth is possible, if it's possible, if it is possible, God can raise up a judge by the name of Samson that, that allows Israel to say, well, wait a minute, maybe this is not a closed and hopeless situation. Hope, hope, hope is saying, hope is speaking to your situation and saying it looks hopeless because I don't see the answer. It's not in front of me. I've, I've been praying for this for a long time and nothing is happening. And, and so it looks hopeless. Hope responds to that situation and says, yes, but there is still a possibility that God is able to do the work. Not in human terms, but in sovereign, divine terms, God is still able to do a great work. Praise God. I want to build somebody's faith in this place tonight because the enemy tries his very best to load us down with doubt and unbelief that we start second question and third questioning God as to what he is or isn't doing. You need to put your trust and confidence in God and say, God, you're God. I'm Kevin Mark Bradford. I don't understand where I am and what's going on. That's why I'm praying to you. But this one thing I do know, you are the author and finisher of my faith. And so I'm not going to doubt that. I know I'm in the right place. If I'm in your hand, I'm in the right place. I'm not in a good place when I'm in the hands of the world. I'm not in a good place when I'm in the hands of the accuser of the brethren because all he wants to do to me is destroy me and to kill me and to steal everything away from me. But if I am in the hands of God, I'm in the right place. Before, there's no birth because she was barren. There's no freedom because the Philistines dominated the political scene. But the messenger shatters that world order and he goes beyond their knowledge and he goes beyond their perception and he goes beyond their expectation. Amen. Don't live in a fixed world where you will always live under the oppression of the hand of the enemy. Wake up tomorrow and sing a new song. Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 11, Miriam sang and said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. 
Amen. Don't ever forget where God brought you from. Psalm 78 verse 11, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. They forgot. Somehow they allowed questions to come into their mind. Psalm 78 verse 32, for all this they, st they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. That impossibility keeps me distant from the world because the world rejects. The world robs of hope. The world limits the present. The world removes power. The theme of scripture is God is able to do what seems to be impossible. Praise God. He is able to do what seems impossible. The impossibility of Jesus. Praise God. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, talking to Mary, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Then watch this, verse number 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Praise God. You know what I'm throwing into the face of the enemy here? tonight I'm throwing in the face of the enemy impossible situations and I'm saying the word of God says with God nothing shall be impossible and the minute that I throw that out there the enemy's in your ear saying yeah but they're too far gone they don't want God they don't want to live for God they're so involved in stuff they'll never get out of their stuff you need to say the word of God to the enemy that's speaking into your ear and say the word of God says with God nothing shall shall be impossible. It's always on the table. If, if God's involved in it, it's always on the table. It's a possibility. The radical, amazing impossibilities of the gospel, they are out there. Many folks don't believe it's possible to save me. You know, actually, sometimes when you talk to them, they'll tell you that. I just, you know, I've done so much and I'm so far gone. I don't believe God can, can save me. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? It's a terrible, terrible conversation because in their mind, they have been so evil, so bad, so wicked that there's no possibility for God to reach them where they are. Amen. So, some of you have come to me and we've had conversations about this this week with, of individuals just feeling like their situation is so what an opportunity as a child of God to say, you know what, that's the world speaking, that's your flesh speaking, and that's the devil speaking to you because that is not what the word of God says. The word of God says, is there anything too hard for God? Praise God. Amen. God is able to do above and beyond what we could think or ask. Praise God. So there was a rich man and he came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he said, master, all these things I've observed from my youth. And Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor, 
and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. You got to leave everything in the hands of God and commit everything and lose everything to gain what God wants for your life. This man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked at his disciples knowing that sometimes wealth and riches can be a detriment in living for God. And he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? He didn't say that if you had riches, it's an impossibility. He said it's an obstacle in, in, in cases like this man who, who couldn't part from his possessions. And the disciples were astonished. And Jesus said to them, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished, out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are impossible. Amen. You have to think outside of what the restraints and limits of possibility is. There's nothing too hard. Amen. And discipleship, living for God, depends on shattering that known world in which I know the limits and I know the restraints and I'm in control and all the structures are here. You got to break out of that and say, God, you're bigger than where I am and what I'm going through. And living for you is getting into a kingdom mindedness and a kingdom position and not in an earthly position. If you start with what is possible, Isaac could not have been born. If you start with what is possible, the Israelites could not have been liberated. If you start with discipleship is not possible, there is no way out of your situation. But if you start with God is able to do what nobody else can do and he's outside of my thinking because he is God, the impossibilities start coming into play. Praise God. I want somebody in the house of God here tonight to know that it's not over until it is over because Jesus has the last word. Don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to your family. Don't, don't listen to yourself. Listen to the voice of God. We need to stand to our feet tonight and lift our hands and say, with humanity and with men, it's an impossibility, but with God, all things are possible. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I want you to think tonight of things that are impossible. Praise God. You know what would actually be kind of fun? Turn to somebody and tell them something that's an impossibility. Amen. Speak that. It may be. You may have. Praise God. I'm serious here tonight because there's some people, there's some people. that are in between a rock and a hard place because they've got people close to them that they want to see God do great things in their life. And it's a struggle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not just speaking pie in the sky here tonight. If it's a name of somebody, you need to turn to your neighbor and, and say their name. Praise God. That seems like an impossibility.
If there's situations that you're going through that looks like impossible, I want you to think of all of those impossibilities. Praise God. And I want us to pray here tonight that no matter what it looks like, God is able to do above and beyond what I think or ask. And therefore, God, you're bigger and greater than what I am. I, I want you to lift up your voice and pray that. Hallelujah. I want you to pray that tonight. Is there anything too hard for God? God is able. He is not limited. Come on, lift up your voice and say it out loud. Hallelujah. I thank you and praise you. I come before you right now and I speak faith into situations. Hallelujah. I could laugh like Sarah, but I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing because I see what you have done. I see the theme of scripture. I recognize that you're a God that assaults our position, that says that we've got it all figured out. No, you're greater than who we are. 